y'all. I'm Meg Kirsted, and this is the Black Sheep Playground podcast. We're here to have some fun, learn a ton about how to actually be a human, and question the idea that there's a right way to live your life. Because I'm pretty sure there are a whole bunch of ways to thrive. So let's go play. All right. So good morning or afternoon or evening or whatever time it is when you're listening to this. It's Meg and I'm here with my friend and colleague Paige Bowman, who is actually one of my coaches. And amusingly, I'm one of her coaches as well. We have like a symbiotic (laughs) coaching relationship, but um, I am very picky about who I hire. I only hire incredible deep thinkers who will understand my weird shit and deal with the fact that my brain works in very unusual ways. So it is the highest compliment I can pay someone to hire them as my coach. So know that like Paige is awesome. So rather than have me just like be like, oh my God, Paige is the best. I love her so much. Paige, how about you tell us about who you are and what you do? I mean, I'll sit here and listen to it if you want. Um, thank you for that introduction and having me on the podcast. I am Paige Bowman and I am a master certified life and weight loss coach. And I do love helping people with all the weird stuff and, um, who don't do things the quote unquote normal way and are just different. Those are the people I tend to attract and love to work with because that's me. I am my own client. And the way I kind of got into this work with weight loss and then becoming a coach was realizing I didn't like how other people talked about food and eating and their body. And even when I went through certification and I learned about even the way my coach taught stopping overeating or what to do about emotional eating and food and stuff, I was still like, hmm it's still too complicated for me, or you're not really still addressing the things that I struggle with. And so I kind of worked through it in Paige's way, in my own way. And then I just figured there have got to be other people who struggle with this, even learning from other people who have simplified it themselves. I'm sure there are people that still struggle with it and I want to help them. So I work through my emotional eating and all the ways that I felt like food was complicated. And, um, and then I personally did lose weight. And then I just share everything I did with my clients in my program. And what I love about the work I do with the people I work with, like Meg, is we do things their way too. Like the way I teach stop overeating and emotional eating and weight loss as well is here's my layout, but I am, we're partnership in this. Like I'm going to guide you and I'm going to help you out, but this is the way we're going to do it your way because your brain is different. Everyone's brain is different. And so let's make this doable for you. And that's what I do. That's, that's my kind of coaching style. And that's one of the things I love about working with Paige is that when I inevitably am like, oh, this sounds like it's too hard or, you know, I really don't want to eat this thing all the time. Don't make me plan everything. Pout, pout, pout. Paige works with me <laughs> because it turns out if you tell me to not do something or do something, my brain like wants to flip the table and light things on fire. So um, I think that is one of the fabulous things about you and why I like working with you and why I think you're going to have so many insights to share with us about eating today. Um, and actually where I wanted to start was actually, I want to hear what emotional, in your mind, emotional eating actually is, because it's a term that's bandied around, but I wonder if people have really thought when they're like, I'm an emotional eater, what it actually means and like why they're doing it. Cause um, Paige and I also get along because we're both big science nerds. So like, mm-hmm. tell us what emotional eating actually is. And when it's a problem and when it's not a problem. Yeah. Well, actually the way I'll explain it, I was just telling um, a client, I was telling her about a, one of my own backstories kind of at the height of emotional eating right before I started making changes. And I was telling her that 
I had, so I like to video journal myself. Like I don't, would never show these to people, but I was having a really hard time. This was a couple of years ago and I started recording this video and I was eating this chicken biscuit and just like, I was talking to the video, I was talking to myself, of course. And I was just like, I can't not eat this right now. I feel terrible. I'm having the worst day, the worst month. And I need this food and I need it not because I'm hungry, but because it's like how I can cope, how I can function. And I think in the most basic sense, because I don't like to use emotional eating all the time or overeating because we don't call it that. Like, this is what I was telling my client. I was emotionally eating, but I wasn't calling it that for me. It was what emotional eating was the way I would have, I need food to be able to handle whatever is going on, whether it's my anxiety, my chest is so heavy. My, I have such like nervous energy and butterflies and emotionally eating was going to food to make that all go away. Yeah. And I like explaining that to people like that, because I'm sure you listening and I know Meg, we talked about this before, but like, it does feel like you do kind of need food to go to sometimes. And yeah. And I think, and I think that's one of the things that, that some of the like typical like diet culture, weight loss culture kind of gets wrong is like food shouldn't be a comfort. You should never use it as a tool, but like it can be a tool for comfort and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just a tool. It's, I think the, the thing that, that I grapple with is like, when do I want it to be a tool I use? Like essentially, mm-hmm. when do I want to use this tool? And when do I not want to use this tool? Um, because there's sometimes I want to use food as a, as a comfort or as a source of pleasure or a source of dopamine, which is another thing that we've talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we demonize food as anything other than nutrition sometimes like, you know, there's very much like the clean eating and you only put certain things in your body and you can't be some pleasure. And I think that is what a lot of the stuff I see really gets wrong, or at least I don't like it. I don't relate to it because you know what? I fucking want it to be a comfort or (laughs) to be a source of pleasure or connection. Like it doesn't have to just be that for you, especially for those of us who really like food. Mm -hmm. And, And I don't mean just like food as, you know, eating, but culturally food is very important. Um, you know, particularly with celebrations and family and traditions or like for me food is a legitimate hobby I mean I've I've taken professional level cooking classes like I food matters so having things be a source of emotion like emotional I think it's also interesting to think about emotions and how we think like emotional eating has a negative connotation because emotions are bad Mm. right? (laughs) Which of course, like, if you think of, you know, logic versus emotions, like logic usually is privileged over emotions. So when do you use eating as a tool in, you know, creating the feeling you want? Oh yeah. So it's so interesting you say that because that's actually one of the big things that I talk to my clients about is let's not the way I coach, the way I teach is let's not rip away your whoopee, your security blanket. If food is that thing that provides you comfort, because like you said, it's been a tool that you have been using. And so something that I make clear to my clients, but also anyone who's listening, who uses food as a tool for comfort, one of my suggestions is go create new tools for comforts. And then start deciding how you want to use food. Like you were just asking me, like how you want to use food to create emotions or handle emotions. And so then you're not ripping food away. You're like, well, I'm not supposed to be using this, but I'm left with nothing, no tool to help me feel better. So for sure. And this is something I talked about in a recent podcast or episode of my own podcast, where I said, for the holiday. Oh, it was losing weight for the holidays. And I said, one of my tips is pick a new tool that you want to start practicing this holiday season so that you have something else to lean on other than food. And I think that's super useful, but to your question about what do I do? I still do go to food sometimes for comfort and it's not that often. And when I do, I'm just clear about it with myself 
right now I'm using food to not feel this anxiety or um, sometimes it's regular anxiety, sometimes it's social anxiety, or I'm using food to um, make me feel a positive emotion. I want to feel a positive emotion. And I would say my main thing for myself is just being clear with myself. Like this is what I'm doing without judgment, just having that understanding curiosity, because like you said, I have a science brain and I love to also take a look at, oh, that's so interesting. Why did I think, why did I go to food? Or I'll just like question it or I'll evaluate it and don't not make it a problem because it doesn't have to be a problem. Of course it doesn't have to be a problem because nothing has to be a problem, which right. but our brains don't work that way. So what are some of the other tools you use? Um, like, because I love this approach. Cause one of, one of my, my sticks is also like, don't take something away without at the very least replacing it. Because if you take something away without replacing it, your brain's going to essentially throw a fit. It's like, you know, taking a toy away from a toddler and, and not giving it something else to play with. Of course it's going to be pouty. So what are some of the tools either you used or you've seen with clients that are effective as other tools to sort of like create some of these emotions that some of us, you know, create with food? Well, for sure. One of my big ones, this is something I'm really working on myself is grounding or coming back to presence. Because if I'm eating to suppress an emotion, and I keep coming back to anxiety, because that's the big one that I have, and will continue to work on my relationship with, I like to talk about emotions, like, like you said, there's no good or bad emotions. And in general, they're not good or bad. They just are. And I like to think about having a relationship with my emotions. So anxiety is one where we just, we keep working on it together. <laughs> I know it's, 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 it's like any good relationship. It has ups and downs. And some days you really want to make out with anxiety. And then there are other days you want to, you know, yell at anxiety and tell it to leave you alone and give you some ice cream. Yes, that's exactly what it is. So um, one thing that I do, especially with anxiety and disappointment, and I have really taught myself the difference between those and how they feel in my body. So anxiety is tightness in my chest and maybe like uh, nervous butterflies in my stomach and disappointment might be like rounding of the shoulders and, and general feeling super heavy in my body. And what I'll do is I'll do this presence exercise. And I guess you can call it a grounding exercise where I step out of the situation of my body. And I think Eckhart Tolle talks about this. I think I read like half a chapter of his one book and it was enough. I was like, I don't need to read the rest. This was so good. Thank you. But he talks about such an ADHD up. thing to do, by the way, to be like, oh my God, I got everything I need where this book goes away. Yes. I have a number of books like that. I read the like first three chapters and I'm like, I'm fine. I don't need any more. Yeah, I got the value out of that one chapter. Thank you. But he talks about stepping out of where you are in your mind. I'm very visual. So I like to think there's me in my mind and then there's me, a body sitting in this chair in my office and me in my mind is making this emotion, this situation, it's very charged. And it's like, I just want to escape this. And then there's me outside of my mind and I'm a human and I'm sitting in my chair and there's a computer here and there's trees outside. And I'm sort of allowing myself to step out of that just raging emotional happening in my brain and my body. And that's one of the ways where I'll just, I just need that one to three second separation to come back and say, okay, what's going on? Do I need to process this emotion? Do I need to do um, a free write? That's another tool where I will literally write a whole page of just my thoughts, but I will usually work through what's going on. And that will not only help me let go of some emotion, but then I feel mm, peace and calm because I acknowledged what was going on with myself on paper. And I probably talked myself through it while I was writing. So the grounding in the presence, the free write, I am a big writer. So anyone who's a writer, I would highly suggest getting your thoughts out of your brain because again, then you're not in that 
brain space anymore. Now it's on paper. And then, yeah, and that, yeah. and it's put, I am, I am very similar essentially. Like I, I literally feel like my brain is full sometimes. Uh, like there, it, 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 it's like the feeling of fullness and like, there's too much going on in my head and you like just have to get it out. I think that's mm -hmm. a really common thing um, with people who have both anxiety and ADHD is like having a very full brain and yes. anything you can do to externalize it mm -hmm. and get it out literally frees up space. I mean, we working memory, you know, it's not like literal physical space in our brain in the same way, but it's, it's the same thing. You're literally like freeing up space. Um, the, the metaphor I like using is like, it's like computer programs, you know, some of you who maybe are a little younger don't remember back in the day you had to like open up the uh, God, control delete and like close down programs because they were taking up all of the RAM and memory mm -hmm. in, on your computer, on your Windows computer back in the day. I don't even know if Windows computers do that nowadays. I have a Mac and I've been a Mac user for a while, but like you have to close shit down, which is exactly what you're talking about. And, mm -hmm. and if you don't, it just continues to go and it, yes. and it continues to compound and it makes the emotion stronger. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening. I think that's so funny because the other example that you made me think of is you also used to have to defrag your computer. Yes. Oh my God. Defragging. Yeah. And it was take forever. And I yes. still, I have a fucking computer science degree and I still don't know what defragging actually even did. I think it, I think it essentially like reallocated memory and like organized uh -huh. things, but like yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's another example of that. Yeah. And you'd watch it on the screen. Oh uh -huh. man, I'm dating yeah. myself. That's all right. That's all right. Well, I mean, and that's a that's I would say the third thing I do is I process my emotions. And I would use like the defrag as like an example of like it may take longer than a second. Sometimes it takes me a minute or two minutes, but getting into my body and actually experiencing that emotion, getting out of my brain and into my body and letting myself feel the emotion, not just think about the emotion, but feel it. I can then release it. And I do that where I'll take some breaths and I'm, I'm letting it know, thank you for being here. I can feel this. And now I can also let it go. It feels like I've been defragged when I do that. And, you know, to your point about food being a tool for, com a tool for comfort is I think that each of these are tools for comfort, but the reason why I try and tend to go towards these ones that I just explained is because afterwards, I tend to feel in general better than when I've eaten to feel better. So like you said, it's still a tool, but it's my after that I also like to pay attention to. And when I use these tools, my second and third order effect, like not just in the moment, but afterwards tends to be more net positive than when I eat. So that's something I like to keep in mind too. Like eating is a tool for comfort, but it's one that does give me a net negative because it doesn't make the emotion go away, but it's there if I need it. So I know an emotion we've talked about in our sessions is boredom, which mm -hmm. I, I joke but I don't think it's entirely not true that boredom is actually the scariest emotion for some of us. Like I am, I, I in some ways, I almost feel like I'm more comfortable with like despair than I am boredom, especially extended boredom. And I know some of us eat to alleviate the boredom. So what are your thoughts on that? And also like throw in some of the science if you know why, why, you know, food is so powerful for alleviating boredom. Well, I actually just did a podcast on this called Embracing Boredom. It was, it's an idea that Cal Newport writes about in his book, Deep Work. I actually did finish that whole book, but he also writes really simply, so it's <laughs> a lot easier to read. Um, but I did an entire podcast and here's my sciencey with still like that coaching background where I talk about what happens when we're bored and the way I would explain that is stillness or silence like there's nothing else going on the reason I find and I think that it feels like the scariest emotion is because when you're bored you're hearing all of your thoughts and you're experiencing all those emotions that your thoughts are creating and if you aren't a fan of feeling your emotions then being bored or feeling boredom can be the scariest thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, so I, I, I joke that I don't have emotions and that 
you know, I certainly don't express them ever. So I am definitely not one of those coaches who's like super touchy feely, like in my emotions all the time. I'm from the Northeast. I'm from Massachusetts. We don't have emotions. We definitely don't talk about them. So I think that's a really good description. It's like boredom is essentially all the emotions that you actually have and are like repressing down into this tight little ball. And if you're bored for too long, they all like go and explode Mm -hmm. all over the place. And it's terrifying. And especially like my brain moves so fast. It like bounces around from like, you know, you don't have enough money to like, you'll never find love to, you know, all these like existential things. That's why boredom is terrifying. It's because it's not just like not doing anything. It's actually experiencing and feeling all of the things at once. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, I, that was a very, I loved your description of it. <laughs> Perfect. And something that I, I say is I talked about this, this episode that comes out this week, um, where we're talking is called quality thoughts. And I talk about this idea that, you know, one reason we want to always be filling our time or our hands or, or our, um, you know, entertaining ourselves with like videos or whatever is because of this, right? Not wanting to experience our brain and our emotions. And something that it kind of hit me recently is I was doing my free write and I found some of the thoughts that I was thinking, like you're a failure, you're ruining everything. And it just like hit me, like, this is why I watch things all the time. And I don't want to be with my brain. It's not a nice space to be. Yeah. it's, It's no one wants to be in my brain, let alone me. It's not a nice place sometimes. And so I'm actually working through this experiment with myself of giving myself a lot of, it's almost like a digital detox, but not because there's anything wrong with digital, but I'm giving myself a lot of opportunity to be bored and be still. And my goal is to create a quality, kind, fun brain space. So not even the emotion stuff. You're like like, an interior decorator for your brain right now. For my brain. Like it's a brain like what are those home improvement shows I don't this is one of the ones I don't watch but like you know extreme home makeover Paige's brain (laughs) and like isn't that the one where they take the bus and like drive it away I love that it's always sunny episode that makes fun of that as a side note and I feel like my brain would be the one that would then you know they take the bus away and it's the always sunny episode where the the entire house is burned down So that's, that's my, what I imagine my extreme home makeover would be like if I didn't do the work yet, but essentially that's what you're doing to your brain. You're doing like an extreme home makeover. I love it. Yes. And it makes, you know, the things that I struggle with and we've talked in the black sheep playground about some things, but the things that I personally struggle with, with having a neurodivergent brain, I'm finding with this experiment, not only is it making eating the way I want to easier, but it's making things like my focus and my, um, my, how like hyperactive my brain is, it's actually starting to help me with that too. So it's kind of a bonus. I would never have guessed this, but yeah, I'm really, I'm having a lot of fun with creating a quality brain space and seeing what fun byproducts come from that. So that's just a side note. I love that. And I'm curious because one of you are in the black sheep playground because you're one of my people and I'm one of your people, but like, what is different about eating when you have ADHD or a brain that is very like interest focused dopamine driven? I mean, we're all dopamine driven. Every human is, but like, there's some of us who just need more because we have less. What do you think is different about that for us? Like through your own, own work with yourself, but also obviously with clients, Well, one is, I'm going to cut, there's two things. One is like the motivation behind eating is there um, that I feel like it's a big difference, but you also talked about in your last episode at the time of recording this, that you talked about how complicated eating can be like the, when, the, what, the, where, the, why, the, how. And I think that's the other thing that, that comes from having a neurodivergent brain where there is a lot going on. And if you're anything like me, something can maybe not be complicated to other people, but just like the way my brain works, it's like, it, it just complicates it. Like you've got to break things down for me. And if you don't, I'm going to have to, or I'm just not going to do it. 
one example that comes to mind is the like, you know, one of the practices that was in vogue, I don't know if it's still in vogue, is like all the mere prep where you like make one thing for the whole week and you do it all at once and you plan ahead and then you eat the same thing or a few things, few of the same things all week. And like, I would love to do that. Don't think that that like that wouldn't make my life easier. But anytime I've tried to do something like that, I either don't want to eat the same thing more than one night in a row, or I don't even want to eat the thing that I cooked because my, I like, I'm not picky overall. Like I eat all the things, but each day I get very finicky about like what I want um, to say nothing of like doing all the, you know, planning to like cook all the food for the week and have it all done and all done at once. It requires a lot of like decision-making and planning and amounts and like, you know, I've done it a couple of times and it was nice, but it's not something that's sustainable for me. And if, you know, someone's strategy is like plan all your meals ahead of time and like a week ahead of time and cook them all at once, like my brain's going to laugh at you. It's like, just going to laugh at you. It's like, do you not think I thought of that already? <laughs> but it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I remember I was um, involved as in like a, a, as a consumer with Beachbody for a long time. And I remember Autumn Calabrese came out with this diet uh, by containers and she would have like different color containers and she would just give you like what each color meant. Like red was protein, purple was fruit and green was vegetable. And I remember thinking like, okay, this is a little bit easier than you giving me an entire diet or meal plan, but it still felt like I don't want to have to put all my food in these containers and measure like it just I didn't like it and this is something I've had to work through is like you like you said like what makes it different for us well is people can do that they can look at a diet and just follow the diet and do what it says and meal prep I I just wasn't built like that yeah <laughs> like to be fair I think like the actual research on following diets is like something like 98 percent of people it's certainly above 90 percent end up, you know, not following it. So right. I think the interesting thing is that like, even for people who don't have a particular type of brain, following particular protocols very religiously, especially if they're complicated, doesn't work. Like, and this is regardless, this is not even just if you're losing weight. Like, for example, I have a stupid immune system. And yes, I'm calling it stupid because it is stupid. Um, it like actually doesn't know what's going and maybe a better term is anxious. But um, so sometimes I have had to do these absolute ridiculous elimination diets with an immunologist. Like I eat nothing but salmon and white rice and it's horrible, it's horrible. But um, so there are lots of times where, you know, we have these sort of restrictive ideas or even restrictive protocols for how we eat, but it turns out to be a human in the world, especially nowadays where we have so much choice and so many different competing things. It, it isn't as straightforward as like back when you were a farmer and the, you all didn't have any choice because the only thing in the root cellar were potatoes and beets. So you're having potatoes and beets for dinner. Um, so what do you think has been most powerful for making easy eating easier for you, for your brain? Definitely. I would say when I first started on this journey of working through eating along with the emotion and the thought work was not forcing myself to change everything. Like I know you know this, but I love experimenting and I have a very analytical science focused brain. And when I say science, just like looking at the data and wanting to set up like uh, experiments and, and gather more data and make changes. And data can be qualitative, by the way, right. just for those of you out there who are also data minded, doesn't just have to be like numbers and stuff. It can right. also be things like how you're feeling and yeah. Right. And so what I, what I did was I said, okay, this is currently how I'm eating, which is why when my clients start with me, we don't change food in the beginning because how you're eating is okay right now with any changes we make, you will have made from a purposeful place. So let's get rid of shoulds first. And so I decided not to make changes first. I decided to do the thought work around um, eating and dieting and all and body thoughts and all this stuff. And so my thought was I could do this a step at a time, a little bit at a time. I can change um, my more spontaneous eating. Like that was one of the first things I worked on. 
I can actually start following, listening to and following my body signals. So, so I stopped spontaneously eating as often. I mean, I'm never perfect. That's not the goal, but I worked on that skill. And then I worked on the skill of listening to my body signals. And I did that for a long time. I wanted to become a person who could hear her hunger signals and fullness signals. And, and then after that, then I started focusing on specifics of the food I was eating and changing those. So I let it be like, if this is the kind of food I eat, then, and this is what I know, then this is just what I'm going to eat right now. And then when I want to make changes, I make small, um, doable changes at a time. Like for example, this year, my one goal was just to add more vegetables to, to my diet, to my, to my way of eating. That was it. That was my only goal. And I said, okay, just have vegetables at each meal. And, and I made a list of the vegetables I like to eat. And then I played this game of like, let's buy a new vegetable each week. And that worked for a little bit. <laughs> and now I have a huge salad every day for lunch. And sometimes it's bag salad, sometimes it's homemade chopped or whatever, but that's what, what's made it easy for me is, is making small changes, doing it pages way and also experimenting, right? There's no right or wrong. So what you think is the next best way to eat, if you're willing to experiment with it, and then you find that actually that's not the best way, then you can drop it and try something new. So, so one of the things that sounds like is really getting curious about a lot of the shoulds you have too. Mm. So what are some of the shoulds you had around food? I'm curious, like, and I'm curious about the wacky ones because I have some absolutely wacky ones too. So like, are there any shoulds that, that really were getting in the way that were even surprising? Well, I would say the big one is like, I shouldn't have this problem. Like, mm. and what's interesting is like, I shouldn't have this problem or I shouldn't be making this a problem. Like, like I don't hear other people making, you know, food choices complicated or like, or feeling like, you know, how to plan for the week or how to meal plan is complicated. Mm. So why am I making this a problem? Why does this feel complicated? Oh, that was a big one for me. Yeah. And that is very much, I think, related to a lot of the stuff that neurodivergent humans Mm -hmm. deal with is like, there's so much like other people don't seem to have problems with this. What is wrong with me? And like that question right there, like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I do this like other people? Is at the core of so many of our issues. I think yes. certainly so many of my issues is like, why can't I just do this the same way everyone else seems to? And of course it's interesting because I think a lot of times we also have incorrect ideas about how other people are doing things, but still, you know, we even get messages as kids, I think, particularly in school about like, why can't you just do this the same way everyone else? Why can't you sit still? Why can't you do this? So um, how, do you, how did you detox that? How did you get rid of a lot of these shoulds? I mean, I, it's a continual process, I know, but. It is. I mean, you even coached me on this recently with sleep, which really changed, changed the game for me um, where it came up again, right? Like I shouldn't need this much sleep. I shouldn't sleep this much. And what's wrong with me? And so- even if I've worked through this with food, this is something like you said, and that's a good reminder for me to hear is like, this is something we, I might continually have come up for me and I can just get better and better at recognizing it and either helping myself or having someone help me with these shoulds. So I would say one of them actually to that point is getting coaching is having someone help me see, Hey, that should is a should, by the way, in case you didn't realize <laughs> yourself you are I should only need eight hours of sleep because that's what I heard yeah and it turns out that is a lie also it's an aggregate data blah 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 but yeah we have so many of those and I think even just getting clear on what they are and 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 being aware of them is probably like 98 percent of the battle is like oh wait <laughs> I was shooting myself right about that particular thing and of course food is such a such a shooting area like I should like one right now that I'm sure you're very familiar with with your clients is like I shouldn't eat sugar or want mm-hmm. sugar mm-hmm. which is hilarious because of course like our brain essentially sugar is like designed in like an evolutionary sense 
to be the thing that our body wants. Like, mm. of course your body's going to want sugar if it's readily available, but like, you know, I should go keto and that's like, is the only way to do things. Um, so how do, how do you figure that out? Like, what are the things that your body needs versus other people? Because that's the other thing. There are no like universal nutrition rules or diet rules or eating rules. Like, how do you figure that out? Yeah, well, a big one is, and this is something I kind of teach in my program, is this idea of a protocol. It's like this, this like guidelines of, you know, what, what, how many meals do you prefer or, you know, coming back to what I said earlier without making changes yet. It's just a, what is right now. So that's kind of what I did. How many meals was I eating just in general, right? Like on a regular basis, what did my meals look like on average? Like sometimes it was this and sometimes it was this. And um, how did I feel? That was something I would keep in mind. And then I would, I would look at that as a, okay, this is, this is good to know. This is how things are right now. And then start to pay attention to how my body feels. Like I said earlier, I worked on for a long period of time. The one skill I worked on was listening to my body and understanding what my body's signals were telling me. And it was like learning this communication, um, this language with my body. And I would say, okay, I had a hand, a handful, not a handful, but like a bowl of salad and a couple of slight, uh, chicken tenders and dang, if I wasn't hungry, not two hours later. So that's solid information. That's that quantitative data. Like my hunger scale, I, it was up and then it dropped right back down. My stomach was like, all right, it's time to eat again. And so maybe the next day, or maybe, you know, I make changes. It just depends, but I would say, well, maybe I double the amount of vegetables I'm eating, or I double the amount of chicken tenders I'm eating okay, what happens then? Do I stay full longer or do I get hungry as fast? And so for me, this is, I think what's really important with listening to your episode about like how, when, why, et cetera, about food is chill out with where you are now and make those small changes according to you and your body and what you are, if you're being open and curious with yourself and, and letting yourself be in awareness with yourself, start making changes based off of what you notice. And sure, if you want to learn from someone and you want to start making changes, pick one thing and really break it down and make it easy to start implementing and then do the same thing, experiment with it and see what happens. So something that I know I have a tendency to do, and I have a suspicion a bunch of other people do, which is like wanting to change all things all at once, because mm. I'm like, I want to be where I want to go essentially. Like, cause all of us are do- changing things for different reasons. Like we want to feel better, or we want to worry about food less and have it take up less space in our brain. Like some people might want to lose weight. Some people might want to gain weight. Um, you know, I need to cut this out because I'm allergic to it. We want to do all the things at once because we assume we're going to get to the destination, the place we're going faster. How do you deal with that? And how do you coach people like me who are like, I want to do all the things all at once because I want to get there faster. And my brain doesn't like just doing this one tiny little thing. Yes. I do coach on that a lot. (laughs) Yeah, we do. Yes. Um, And and part of that is part of that is in the coaching work of being okay with where you are right now and working your belief that you will figure this out. Because if you're okay with where you are now and you know you'll get to the end goal, whatever that might be, maybe it's a better overall diet. And by diet, I mean just the way you personally eat. So whether there is healthier, more whole foods in your diet, or maybe you're eating in a better way if you you know, like if you have an immune thing going on, your goal is to eat in a way that's best for that, or maybe it's to lose weight, whatever it is, work the belief that you'll get there. You'll figure it out. It's like knowing, you know, I'm going to Disney in December and I'm really excited to get there, but I know I'm going to get there. So I don't need to, you know, make it hurry up and happen. Now I can be okay with 
it's October and I'm not there yet. And <laughs> all I, I can hear in my head is like in the back of the car. Are we there yet? 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 Yeah, that, that's definitely my brain like a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, I mean, really, it does come back to being okay with where you are and knowing you're going to get there. But thinking about why you want to make these changes and how can you start creating like some kind of reward system so that you don't have to wait till you get there to feel really good about this work. So if you're, you know, working on putting, getting more whole foods in your diet and the goal is to maybe eat like 80% whole foods, well, pick one of the changes, one of the ways you'll make that change and set up, set it up in a way to where you can reward yourself for making that one small change and implementing that. So then you're giving yourself those dopamine hits and feeling really good about it ahead of time, like on the way. So what, what are some things that have worked for you for like giving yourself some dopamine hits? Like, cause, um, especially for those of us who have low dopamine and like need to like seek it a lot, um, those rewards matter. But what's interesting is, extrinsic rewards. So the kind of things that, you know, are like prizes, like, you know, taking yourself for a massage or those actually generally produce less dopamine because they have less meaning to us. Mm -hmm. So it's this like constant tension. Cause a lot of, I think, and this is often the case that I think is why particularly having kid, I don't have a kid, but having a child with ADHD is challenging. A lot of the typical punishment and reward things that I think, you know, parents and teachers are encouraged to do, though I think that's changing, are very much extrinsic. And it turns out extrinsic stuff motivates, you know, interest-based nervous systems way less. So like, what are some things that like give you that, that you found, give you that reward, but aren't like the, you know, you get a cookie. I mean, in this case, maybe it's not a cookie, but you know, like that aren't these like extrinsic things. So what can we do to like motivate ourselves from an intrinsic place? So one thing that I would say is, you know, for you listening to this, think about a time where you learned a skill or you got really good at a hobby and think about how, how good that felt, right? Maybe it's learning a language or learning something for your job that you love or starting a hobby like puzzles or those, the diamond thingies where you like put the diamond on the mat and you figured this out. Like you got started on the journey and you, you started doing it and you created, you know, things from your hobby. I would say, how did that go for you? What was that learning and reward on the way of learning the skill? How did that go for you? So for me, I like to see the data. That's why I keep talking yeah. about it. That is so rewarding for me. And I fucking love my wearables. Um, I was, yeah. I, uh, there, I don't know if it's even called this anymore, but like the quantified self was sort of like a movement in Silicon Valley. It might still be called that. I don't know, but like, it's the idea of essentially tracking things about yourself so that, you know, things I won't lie, like looking at particularly historical data in my like Fitbit. And I, now I have the whoop and then some of the other stuff that I've done really feels good because mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, look, there actually were changes. I didn't realize they were happening, but look, I've actually like one that um, has happened since I got my whoop is, you know, my resting heart rate has, has gone down steadily, you know, each month I've had it since July and each month it's gone down a tick or two. And I'm like, Ooh, look at that. Um, so I think collecting data because it's very much in, it's like, oh, I am changing. Look at the evidence because it's hard to see evidence about yourself. Yes. It really is like, cause we're only in the present moment. You can't like, literally you can't be in the present or, or you can't be in the future and you can't be in the past. You, you can only be present. So like all the changes you've made is like a past version of you. And the only way you can access it is through memory. And, but that's still through the present. So it's through the lens of your brain right now, which I think is fascinating, which is why I think data is very powerful because it essentially gives us very clear evidence of the person we used to be. And I would just add, because you, you did bring up like on um, the intrinsic motivation being so important is I just like to look at that data and I like to tell myself 
hey, see, we are figuring this out. See, we are moving forward. Um, even if I have, you know, a time where I don't plan, like that's something that I like to do. I like to plan just a couple of days in advance or maybe just the next day, or I didn't have my salad or vegetables. I still will look at that data and I'll see that I still picked up the next day and I didn't give up. And even that data is proof that we're still going, we're still figuring this out, see, we're going to get there. So it's like the data and then those quality thoughts that you tell yourself about the data. See, we're doing this, we're making the changes, we're figuring this out, like, let's go. And feeling that that dopamine hit from how you're talking to yourself is super powerful. And I think also sort of what you're saying alludes to like looking at things that are not related to the result you're trying to aim towards. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of going to Disney World, you know, you might be excited about all of the things that you're going to do. And you've been thinking about the rides. Like those are, those are things that are not actually you going to Disney, but are things that now you're getting enjoyment and benefit from. So like one that I, that I literally just thought of was um, related to eating was how much less money I spend on takeout, delivery, going to restaurants compared to even just a couple of years ago, essentially, yeah, essentially before I moved to Sonoma, like, and especially before I started my business, this is actually a fascinating thing. I noticed I spent so much more on food and alcohol before I started my business because I was so much unhappy, so much less happy. So I was using food and alcohol, unsurprisingly, as a way to, um, you know, address those emotions. And then when I started doing something, namely my business that like created genuine intrinsic happiness and motivation, I just stopped spending as much money on those things. I noticed, I was like, holy shit, I, how did I spend like a thousand dollars? My food budget's ridiculous, but, um, I live in the Bay area also. So, so let's be clear. My, (laughs) everything here is ridiculous. The numbers, the numbers that we deal with on a daily basis are just hilarious compared to other parts of the country, but, and the world. Um, but I spent so much less and, and I've even gotten better than that, which means I'm cooking. I'm also cooking a lot more. And for me is cooking is a source of pleasure sometimes. So that's, that is evidence and something that I really value that is not the direct result I'm, I'm sort of aiming towards. But if I recognize that, I recognize my progress. Yes. And then, you know, like I said, like, because that when you're recognizing your progress, you're getting that could be a dopamine hit. That is like a feel good yes. thing yes. is recognizing your progress. And that goes back to, you know, something else that makes eating harder with someone that has ADHD or neurodiver in your brain is your motivation to eat is different than other people sometimes because food is such a good dopamine, like reward um, to get dopamine. And so if that's why you're eating, then your motivation to eat is different than food is fuel type of thing, which again, is not a problem. It's just understanding. And so if you're creating dopamine outside of food, similar to what we said in the beginning, right? Like food is a tool for comfort. We'll give yourself other comforting things or other tools to provide comfort before ripping food away. I'm not that you should, but um, the same thing is for the motivation and the dopamine and the desire is create those other reward circuits to, to feel the dopamine and get those dopamine hits and then consider no longer using food or lessening using food as a way to get that dopamine. One of the tricks that I sort of developed from our work together was essentially like, if I feel like I want to snack at night, that is my big, my personal, like, you know, big thing I've been working on is, is nighttime snacking. I have made incredible progress. And one of the tricks I use essentially, like if I want something, I now have like a craft project in front of me that I can just pick up and do a little bit on. Like I do, I, I intentionally choose things that I can do incrementally. So you, you don't have to like get out all the paints and like, anyway. Um, so if I feel that sort of urge, I'll just take that out and I'll do some on it. And if it goes away, awesome. Then it's 
essentially a dopamine craving probably in some way, shape or form. But if, you know, after I've done it for a while and, and let things set and I'm still feeling like I need something, that's when I, I start looking at it and go, am I actually hungry? Do I actually need something? Um, so sort of being, starting to recognize like when you want dopamine versus when you want actual nutrition, I think is an important skill to build and not also entirely obvious. Um, how, how do you have any like tips or tricks or like, how does it feel for you when you want dopamine and not actual like nourishment? For sure. I would say the way I would label when I want a dopamine hit versus food, uh, excuse me, versus nourishment is it's more like a need or urgent or even frazzled depending on am I covering up an emotion? And this is something that I really have enjoyed being more scientific about is what's my physiological signs when I'm wanting a dopamine hit instead of wanting nourishment. It's like, it feels needy and, and my blood is like, is kind of going faster and my heart rate is going, it's like, okay, let's get up and go to the kitchen. Like that word urgent or urge, because it's like, I, I want a dopamine hit, like, look, come on, I need this now. And it's not just my thoughts about it, but it's how it feels in my body. And then when I'm hungry, one, I've taught myself to understand what it feels like, hunger feels like in my stomach, but two, it's more calm and just more matter of fact, like I'm hungry, like it's mm-hmm. actually time to eat. And, and so those really understanding the difference between why I eat dopamine hit and then how it physiologically feels has actually made it a lot easier to not give into it to go ahead and process that emotion or like you said go take a walk or it's getting cold now here and I'm a baby so (laughs) (laughs) but why um, live in California (laughs) yeah I'm a baby regards to weather too I get very cranky if it's like above 78 and below like 50 so yeah, I get it. <laughs> but yeah, it's like doing something else or saying like, I just maybe just acknowledging like, what am I wanting right now? I know you teach that. Like, what is my mouth wanting or what am I wanting right now? And then, and being open to hearing it. Yeah. And then doing like, okay, well, I want to feel good. I want to feel better. So, you know, this is something you've taught in the Black Sheep Playground is, having things to do or ways of entertaining yourself or relaxing depending on how many spoons you have that really changed the game for me and so understanding my why and then what to do about it um although of course if I'm hungry I'm going to eat but if it's an urge like here are my other options yeah and I think I think one of the big differences particularly if you have a dopamine needing brain is to not think that it's you're going to be able to grit your teeth and like go through that because your brain's still going to want it at the end there is no like waiting it out like certain emotions you can wait out 100 percent. but like if if your body is craving a you know neurotransmitter um i think it's actually technically a neuromodulator but whatever um a neuro i'm not even going to get into that neuroscience today but um but it, it, it essentially wants dopamine you're, you're like, your body's like, okay, we're below my level. Can we get some sitting there and like using willpower to get through it is not going to serve you ever. (laughs) It just isn't going to serve you. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, does people like us a disservice because it's like, you should be able to just sit through it and like, you know, just feel the uncomfortableness. But the reality is your body does want something. And I think recognizing that and getting clear on what that is, is really important. And then figuring out, can I get it in a way that isn't say, you know, going and having something that I, I don't really want to eat and will make me feel worse. Right. Um, which is, I think been one of the, the key behaviors for me is like figuring out other ways to, you know, satisfy my brain, which mm-hmm. is either like activities or, you know, sometimes it's literally like my mouse wants to be busy. In which case, like gum and and just chewing, um, 
you know, it's the same as sort of like the energy of like moving your fingers around or fiddling. I'm definitely like a fiddler. If I have to like sit through a meeting or something, I'm always fiddling. So um, that replacement, don't just take things. I think this, maybe this is one of the big takeaways from this conversation today is like, don't just take shit away, replace it, give it something else. Cause taking away is going to create deprivation and deprivation creates the kind of behaviors that maybe we don't want. But, yes. Yeah. I would yeah. totally agree. That is a great lesson from this. Don't take away, find something new, replace it. And, and, and this is something, you know, you get to decide, right? Like we were talking about, about earlier, do you want to use food for comfort? How often? And do you want to give yourself other ways to handle your emotions or, you know, giving you that reward? Just be purposeful and intentional yeah. about it. Yeah. Be conscious because I think mm -hmm. that's, that's where a lot of, you know, the behaviors that feel icky come from. It's like, oh, just not even thinking about why we're doing it. And sometimes you, and I think the other thing to normalize is sometimes you don't have the spoons to like do the, you know, quote, hard thing. Sometimes you actually just need to do the thing that is going to create comfort for your body or turn off your brain or whatever. And that's also totally fine. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so you know, I think that's another one of the shoulds that, that I would be thrilled if all of us could maybe, you know, throw out the door. Yes. Agreed. Is there anything else you want to share before I ask you to tell us where we can find you? Um, I guess like the last thing I would add, cause it's, we haven't really hit on it, but is if you're wanting to make a change or you do have the shoulds or things feel complicated, I would just say as a reminder, and I say this all the time on my podcast and with my clients is don't judge yourself. Like I would say practice looking at all of this, looking at your shoulds, looking, looking at the way things are set up and thinking about the changes you want to make in a judgment-free way. And that will make all of this a lot easier. I think is the big thing that I learned. It's a lot easier to experiment and to make changes and to gain awareness when I really did the work of letting go of judging myself. Yeah. Cause it turns out judgment is an emotion that we often want to like not have. And if one of our default tools is to like go, you know, eat to get rid of that emotion, you often just compound the problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the lesson of a lot of this sort of like belief-based stuff is you often by judging yourself, you're, you're essentially just perpetuating the issue. I mean, right. that's true. Um, but also I think consciously using food as a tool, like when is it a tool that serves you and when is it not a tool that serves you and deciding what those circumstances are for you because your service-based tool foodness, I need a term for that, but like essentially like you using food as a tool is gonna be very different than other people. Um, and that there's no right way to do it. Right. Literally, there's no obligation to, there's also no obligation to eat healthy. There's no obligation, like all of this is entirely up to you and a choice, um, yeah. which I think is, is really powerful. And you can, you can do whatever the fuck you want with food. It doesn't have to be complicated, but also it is complicated sometimes. Right. There's that paradox. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like one of those parts of adulting that, that, even especially when you have limited time, limited money, all these other things, it gets, it gets hard in some ways, you know, from a cognitive perspective, be going back to when we just had beets and potatoes in the root cellar, at least would help some of the complicatedness. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And I think, you know, as I said earlier, that was one of the things that I struggled with is it still seemed complicated when people would teach me and what the work I did was simplify it over and over and over again. And one of my favorite sayings is let it be simple because we're not saying it is simple, but you can teach yourself how to let it be simple if you right. want, like that's a possibility for you. And that opened me up to, okay, well then how am I going to let it be simple? If, if even with my neurodivergent brain, that's a possibility for me, how let's go, let's figure yeah. that out essentially the entire problem solving process of making things be easy is like what, what I teach. So I, I fucking love it. Of course, <laughs> essentially it isn't easy to make it easy, 
but boy is life better when it is easy yes yes all right so where can we find you it because at, i have already given you my enthusiastic endorsement I've entirely changed my relationship to food and eating and my body and all that jazz. Like Paige is the best. And she's like the most non-judgmental person on the planet. If you're like me and have very strong opinions, it's really important in a coach. So yeah. where can we find you? So if you're listening to this, you must be a podcast person. So you can definitely check out my podcast, Weight Loss for Life Coaches. And anyone can listen to it for sure. So I just do talk a lot about thought work and emotion stuff and but we do break it down just like Megan and I did today. So definitely check that out. And, and you can find me on Instagram at Life Coach Page B. And I have lots of awesome posts and I put I do stories every day pretty much that help you think about these kinds of things that we talked about today in just bite-sized pieces because I love breaking things down into bite-sized pieces. So yeah, it's so valuable. Me. And um, we will also include those in the uh, show notes if you are a show note person so thank you so much i love you you're the yes. best and thank you for thanks for listening everybody we'll be talking even more about food so tune in for the next episode because i'm gonna go and record it right now so if you're loving the podcast please leave me a review. I'd be thrilled. I'd look at them all. And it's one of the best ways to make sure that other black sheep feel seen, feel heard, feel validated. So leave me a review. Thanks so much.